0: The following podcast is a part of radiomisfits.com. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Couture, Bart Hanson, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week.
1: Ah, there you go. That was a good one, yeah, Danny. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the winemakers. I'm John Myers with my good friends, Brian Casey and Bart Hanson once like a again. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs>
2: I'll take that as a compliment.
1: Danny and Katie Faye. Welcome to the show, guys.
3: Thanks for having us. It's
1: yeah.
2: wonderful to be here. It's great to see what you guys are building with the podcast and we're honored. And oh, we're having fun. Yeah, we are having that's what fun, it's all about. Believe
1: right? me. So, well, it's been a while since you've been on the air with me, and uh, you haven't been on with.
2: And your with ratings the have been po- through the roof. The since podcast.
1: That. Yeah, seriously. Well, you know, I remember that's when because he added the three of us. <laughs> that's <laughs> exactly it. Seriously, um, we had you on with Involve way back when uh, in Sonoma, and then also with Kanzler the Pinot folks. Uh, and you're out in Sebastopol, right? My day job is
2: managing Kanzler Vineyards out in Sebastopol, uh, west, southwest Sebastopol, out by Litteri. Um, we have 20 acres, uh, 15 planted to Pinot. And uh, the night job that slowly has... Transformed Our Lives the is what we have on project. the table here. Um, Hilatara <laughs> Wines with my beautiful wife, Katie, now Faye, Katie Boyer, Katie Faye.
1: <laughs> Katie Boyer, I miss you over at Three Sticks when I, I go, miss you too. go to buy my wine over there. So how's Dry Creek?
3: It's great. I love it. I love it. Um, Healdsburg's definitely booming, so it's neat to and You're to up at Lambert Bridge now. I'm at Lambert Bridge Winery managing the hospitality up there, and I'm loving it.
1: Well, that's great. So,
0: so Danny, a, a little bit about... You know, w- w- you and I and uh, know that in our wine business, um, a title is relevant to the size of the winery that you work at. Mm-hmm. And, sort of. um, <laughs> you know, you can be a winemaker and never actually touch wine. And
2: funny uh, how that works, yeah, isn't, it?
0: isn't it? And then you can be a general manager and you can be a vineyard manager. And, you know, it, it, it just kind of depends. But cancellors a small property. You're the general manager. Yep. But that's not like you sit at a desk and do budgets. I mean, what what no. is it that, what do you do out there? What is your day job exactly? A,
2: a lot of family therapy. I mean, I mean, family winery, right? Uh, no, a lot of couch. No, it's, uh, uh, Kansas are a wonderful family. They brought me on three years ago. Um, they were going through a generational succession plan. Uh, the parents were um, farmers and they started making their own wine. Um, now, Alex, the son who grew up on the vineyard is, is now making the wine. And so my job was part of it was to, um, you know, su- uh, the succession of the, the brand and, and the, the vineyard through to the next generation, but also help them come up with a business plan to grow and um, reach their goals. Uh, we're slowly in the process of getting a small tasting room and hope to, you know, we're at 1600 cases right now. They were a thousand when I showed up. And we're just slowly building one, you know, one at a time, one thing at a time. Because you, you, you know, you have a, a, your
0: your Instagram uh, is a, a winemaking nomad, and I know when I first met you, you were at Kenwood, but before that, you had done some traveling. Um, you, uh, I think you got your, your master's not here
2: in the United States, right? Where did you get yeah. your, uh, can you, can,
0: can you back up a little bit on I that? I can.
2: Yes. Before, um, I met this beautiful woman sitting next to me who locked me down, uh, <laughs> in, in a good down. way, <laughs> locked me down in a good way. Um, I was much more nomadic. Um, I had the opportunity, I was, you know, grew up in, in, um, in England. Actually, I was born in in Oxford, um, grew up in a little village with more ducks than people which called it was literally called duckling. Wait, tables. wait, wait, you got to stop there. I like I that. I I <laughs>
4: didn't know this. So what how come you grew up there? And
0: what happened to your accent? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah, what what happened, what your happened to your accent? <laughs> Just wait till the second yeah. glass of wine it comes out a little. Uh, it does. I'm
2: a Brit. My my father's Irish. Um he was born uh in Luton but grew up at the Hill of Tara, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um my mother was born in Wales. She was in English Welsh. Um so I'm I'm full generationally British uh, and grew up over there in uh, West Cotswolds of Oxfordshire. My father took a um, an engineering gig, s- sound engineer, uh, audio engineer, in the early 90s in Silicon Valley. So we moved over with eight suitcases. And, and how old were you at that time? I was nine. nine. Wow. It was 1991. Um, so, you know, it was it was pretty wild times. My father m- moved out here for about eight months first, and, and we bought a fax machine in this little village. You know, no one had ever seen a fax machine, and very foreign <laughs> concept. You know, we'd get up very early in the morning to try to... You know, watch this little digital printer start spitting out papers with our dad's handwriting on it. You know, this was, we lived in a house that was older than the United States of America at the time. It was almost 300 years old. Um, Thatch roof. I mean, the quintessential British countryside. And so my father came out. He liked it, moved back, uh, came back and said, we're moving out there. So we moved um, to the South Bay and then slowly made our way up to Sonoma, um, where I moved here when I was 12. I went to Altamira, uh, was a wolf pack. (laughs) and uh graduated sonoma high in 2001 i went to cal poly um came back and worked the 2005 kenwood harvest um, as an internship graduated cal poly came out um started working with the benzingers grew up with mikey benzinger and buck benzinger um and that was really where i got my my influence for farming and and biodynamics um Uh and then i said i really want to get my master's somewhere uh, I talked to Sandra Newton at Sonoma State, and she said there's a uh, we tried to emulate the, the program out in Bordeaux, and I was you know not really tied down at that point, so I said I might as well sell everything I own and try to live out of a backpack and uh, uh, a couple camping vans and some motorcycles for a few years, so I was fortunate enough to do that, traveled to about 22 countries, slept on 87 couches, uh, did about 125,000 miles of traveling, and at the time I started a, a Twitter handle or a you know, some sort of handle, whatever you call it. And wine, wine, making nomad was much more appropriate to my lifestyle back then. And now I'm stuck down in here in California, which is, you know, not, not the worst place in the world, but, um, definitely had a, um, an opportunity to go travel and finished my wine, uh, MBA in Bordeaux, um, France, but we also studied in, uh, Adelaide, Australia, UC Davis and, uh, wine, wine intelligence. I'm so sorry about all this, Jan. I really am. I know. How long were you in Bordeaux for? Uh, the better part of twenty-two months. So I was kind of back and forth, um, depending on the couch availability yeah. and uh, what what my budget was like, which was pretty pretty frugal at that point. Um, but I worked harvests all over the world. Um, I did my thesis on organic and biodynamic viticulture, um, specifically related to uh, economic uh, quantity or quality versus um, uh, sorry, quality, uh, again, kind of an economical ratio of organic and biodynamic farming and, and the, the product of that quality to, qu- um, I'm trying to think of the quality ratios based on the cost of farming. What well, grade did you get on that, by the way, since
4: you can't even <laughs> get it out of your mouth. I know
2: it, it, it was called, uh, the, the thesis was called, uh, what was it? It was couch, sh- no, uh, cow shit? No, no bullshit. No, it was cow shit, no bullshit, because you know how you use the cow shit in the in the biodynamic farming. But it was a uh, it was a wonderful experience. Um, feel fortunate to be back in Sonoma, though, and now putting all that knowledge to use with my beautiful bride. Yeah, when did you guys get married?
3: In August. Wow. Yeah, August fourth. Wow. Where
2: where was the event? We had our wedding at Ramekins, uh, which was wonderful. Um, we have quite an engagement story, though that. If you want to tell yeah, it. yeah it's yeah, pretty good. Get right into that microphone. Yeah, oh, Pull sorry. that. Yeah. There we you you, go. go.
3: I think Danny should tell the story because. No, 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 no. We no, asked no, no. you if
2: you'd tell the story. Get in there. I'll, I'll, I'll hop in when it, when the GoPro, so, when the GoPro dies. Yeah.
3: I had no, I had no idea. Um, actually, it's pretty special. Um, Nicholas vineyard where we, or Danny kind of got his whole start in the whole farming um, portion of things, it was a special place for us because we, when we first started dating. We go up there, we bring up pizza from downtown Sonoma, usually red grape and sit up there with a bottle of wine, have a couple glasses. So this is kind of like any other Friday for me. Danny's like, Hey, let's go, let's go up there. Have some wine before dinner. Oh, well, sounds good. We leave for, we leave home and he's wearing a suit, uh, it was <laughs> Pretty a much a suit or a sport coat, sport coat. <laughs> 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 which is kind of weird. I'm like, Hmm, that's odd. And then he said he was in Sebastopol all day, and I noticed that his hair was perfectly cut. And he gets his hair cut in Sonoma. I'm like, "Oh, didn't you? Did you get your hair cut today, Danny? <laughs> nope. I'm like, huh? Something's up. So I kind of knew something was up, but I didn't know he was going to propose. We go up to the vineyard, and just like any other day, we're looking at everything, and um, I just kind of plop down on the ground. And Danny's like, "No, no, no. Let me go. Let me go get you a, let me get you a little blanket to sit down on. I'm like, Danny, it's fine. Like we do this all the time, you know." I'm really that kind of. I'm not high maintenance uh, like that. So can I jump in and explain oh, what, yes, what was really going on? Yes. So
2: I had <laughs> gone earlier to the. So the vineyard is right below Sam Katuri and Phil Katuri's house oh, okay. uh, on Moon mm-hmm. Mountain. It's a beautiful property, um, overlooking. You can see San Francisco from it. It's kind of like a I know vineyard, yeah. It's beautiful. And so I got there earlier in the day. I'd set up um, a GoPro uh, on one vine that was specifically overlooking another vine. This this vine was very special because. It was a vine that I taught Katie how to prune back in 2015 when we very first started dating. One of our first dates was, I'm gonna teach you how to prune. So we we carved her initials. So romantic. I know. He earned some points that day with that one. We carved we carved her initials in the uh, in the stake of this of this vine. So this was kind of her vine. I gave her updates throughout the whole year of this vine. I had no
3: idea I was doing with going in with the, the
2: shears and everything. The shears, I'm like hopefully this. So drives. I had I knew this was where I wanted to propose at this vine, this specific vine, and so I set up a GoPro on the on the row above this row, uh, just so you could capture the whole moment. By the time we got to um, actually uh, Katie had gotten to the site. I mean, this was three or four hours later. The, The battery had died in the GoPro so I was like shit man of like God, how am I what am I gonna do here so I I had a bottle of champagne um I put down a blanket and I, she was hanging out and I was like all right I gotta distract her while I change out this battery right behind her he's like so okay I gave go check v- out your
3: vine <laughs> yeah
2: get, check out the vine here's a bottle this. of champagne we uh I, I you know got uh, the the salesforce tire it was just being built so I was trying to get her distracted in the in the distance meanwhile <laughs> I've got my back turned to her I'm looking uh up up the vineyard and I'm I'm Pulling out of my pocket another battery, managed to slip the GoPro out of its case, slip the battery in, get it recording again, all like within 30 seconds. I don't know how I pulled it off, and uh, we were fortunate enough to capture the uh, the proposal overlooking San. I was so lucky San you Francisco, pulled that off,
4: <laughs> and we can see this on YouTube.
1: Uh, well, we saw it
2: on uh, social it media a while back. There's probably yeah, a few he, images out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was. I remember when this happened, and <laughs> it was very obvious that it didn't quite go the way it was
2: supposed <gasps> to. <laughs> Sorry, babe. Well, okay. I was so excited to show her. <laughs> you know This what? picture. I just spilled wine over Small my wife. Small accident. <laughs>
3: That's all right.
2: So this is it's p- a good
3: thing I wear cashmere today. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh my god.
3: Well, you know, I think you it's guys haven't wash had a spill on the show yet.
1: You know, I think.
2: Yeah, You're the first. No,
1: we've, we've had plenty of <laughs> spills. We just haven't no, hit any. I'm sure, sure okay. Bar
3: has some wine away in the back. <laughs> all right.
1: You know, that stuff's really good. Well, the good I news should be a spokesperson
3: for them. It does work. Like, this, stuff, this isn't the first time. This oh, man, this
2: is a mess. Well, the good news is I found the picture. All right. And we'll start with that. <laughs>
4: there you go. Oh, wow. Even the lighting is amazing. Um,
2: or is this you you touched up? That, Did Andy? you touch
4: this photo up a little bit?
2: There, there could be a, a filter on there. Looks perhaps. pretty good, uh, but you kind of, get, kind of get the idea of uh, where we're at here. This is um, beautiful sh- setting, uh, Shockland Hill, right behind Sonoma. Wow, and uh, overlooking down into the, the bay. Um, so that was, that was the proposal, May twelfth, two thousand seventeen, and uh, yeah, here we are, almost two years later, uh, trying to birth our new wine brand and, and share our wines. Nice. So obviously Hill of Tara being what
1: the sacred hill of Ireland. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how did you uh, pull all this together and why did you choose the name?
2: Yeah. So the story, I mean, the name, so Hill of Tara is a real place. It's an hour outside of Dublin, Ireland. Um, It is about 5,000 years old. Um, So it is one of the oldest, uh, most ancient um, lands of Europe uh, in Ireland specifically Um, the, 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 the the real meaning behind it is it's the Royal seat of the ancient Ireland empire. So 142 Kings ruled all of Ireland from the Hill of Tara. It's kind of like if the white house had a baby with Gettysburg and like the Mayflower showed up, it's like all of (laughs) Ireland's history in one place. Um, and so there's a lot of monuments on it. It's obviously very um, deteriorated in terms of like what it used to be, but still a mount is a hill, a mound. is 508 feet, um, and it's a it's a historical site now. Um, one of you know Saint Patrick starting spreading Christianity there in 432 AD. There's a lot of incredible history. There's tombs and, and ancient monuments older than the pyramids, Stonehenge. Uh, But not too many people know about it. And the reason it's significant to us is uh, my family was the last private landholders of the Hill of Tara. That
1: would be your Um, great uncle Bill.
2: That would be my great uncle Bill. Um, This is my my great uncle or my great grandfather, my great grandmother, Edward and Francis Tormy. Um, This was actually at um, their uh, their uh, funeral. They passed in 1959 and left the property to my great uncle Bill. Who was um, who sold it back to the government in 1974? Um, so my great grandmother um, and great grandfather were real, really the uh, the inspiration behind this. They were they were the ones that really took Hillitar and, and from a farming standpoint, uh, made it uh, beautiful. Uh, my grandmother was born there. Um, my father grew up there on the hills, and so it's a very family. Um, you know, if, being out in Sonoma, I don't have any family out here, so I was trying to look at something that would. Um, be more significant to our ancestors and you know when i got into farming i kind of figured out well i probably got it from this edward tormey guy that owned the hill because that's what he loved to do as well and so, what what grows up the, on that hill well it's mainly cattle it's uh it's oh. hundreds of acres um but incredible farming land they owned and farmed the western side of the hill for generations and uh my my great grandfather um, took over the north side of the hill Back in 1928. Um, wow. And then there's a picture of my great uncle in that book. Um, I think this is it. If you guys want to give us a
1: call, we can arrange for you to see Danny's photos anytime. Well, <laughs> yeah. When you're out in Sonoma. So yeah. Yeah, or if you
0: uh, happen to find yourself near uncle. near the Hill of Tara, <laughs> Absolutely.
1: And I think Brian's going to actually take photographs and post them oh, today. Awesome. So
2: that's a good yeah, thing. Pretty neat. So that's, I mean, that's some amazing history. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Well, I mean... It's pretty easy to, you know, unless your name's trademarked, which mine is, unfortunately, by Stag's, Stags Leap. They make a Fay wine um, after Nathaniel Faye, who was the first guy to plant Cabernet in Stag's Leap. You know, it's pretty easy to throw your last name on, on a bottle of wine. Um, I think coming up with something that's a little more significant in meaning is, yeah. is, is important. Um, I, I
0: used to always say, people say, before I even had, when I was a home winemaker, you know, what's the name of the label? And I said bart's no good and hansen's no good and so we just never had a label you know and then when dane was born there was some inspiration but
3: mm-hmm. yeah we
0: don't have a cool european name or um, own a historic piece of property
2: and that's kind of you know you try to tie things in so mm-hmm. that's pretty cool tie-in think you to say well it took four years to figure out the name the brand the logo this we're not trying to create some get rich quick you know trendy brand overnight we're trying to build something that's you know generational that we can pass down to our kids and it stands for something uh, more than, you know, just a, another bottle of wine. Just once, I want somebody to say, I am trying to do
1: something tricky and overnight. And, and you know, I mean, I'm going to build a brand and sell it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, boom, yeah. done. can John, <laughs> the, prisoner. the prisoner. Yeah, I was going to say, well,
0: <laughs> well there, there have been some stories. Uh, there have been some stories of that, I guess, in the past, right? You know, we've made fun of some of those brands in the past.
4: Yeah. No, I've never made fun of anyone but, <laughs> what you're but talking about Danny. How did you guys decide on what was, um, Cabernet Sauvignon always the, um, the goal?
2: Yeah. Good question. So obviously my time in Bordeaux, I was, I was very influenced by the varietals over there. Um, but it, it, you know, I got to kind of take a step back and in 2015 when we started dating and, and we were, um, I was working at, uh, or farming Nicholas vineyard on top of moon mountain. That whole story was kind of crazy. I was Who owns that vineyard by the way? Bob Nicholas of the Nicholas Turkey Farms. Okay. Um so he built uh, he b- bought the property and built the house up there in nineteen seventy six. Um Phil Katuri actually planted the vineyard up there in nineteen eighty five ish. Um and it was on AXR, so there's a lot of Floroxer up there right now. Mm. But I was uh early two thousand fifteen I was um having a burrito and beer at La Casa on the back porch or patio. And I saw this guy walk by who kind of looked like my seventh grade science teacher at Altamira. And so I said, Mr. Hipkiss, is that you? And he looks back, he's like, yeah, I don't know who the hell you are. And I was like, oh, Danny Faye. And he's like, I kind of remember you. But so I started catching up with him. And after about five minutes, he's like, oh, so you're in the wine business, huh? hey i got a friend up uh, up on norbaum here i farm his grapes and i make wine from i'm getting too old to climb these steep ridges you know you have any interest so i was like oh sure i'll check it out and at the time involved was kind of on you know transitioning out and so i was very interested and so i didn't know much about farming uh at all um and so i went up there met bob nicholas he was cool he's, he's just like take care of the land and so I recruited uh, my sister's boyfriend at the time, uh, Matt Simpson, who is Phil Katuri's like head mechanic and works for Enterprise. And so, as you guys are probably aware, if you're farming, you need a gearhead. You need someone that can <laughs> fix tractors. Uh, you know spool uh wired you know into has the, access to tractors has access <laughs> to tractors um so we were you know we talked and i was like matt you know if you're in i'm in and so he's like sweet you know he drives by up to cayman which is where the shop is for phil katuri um every day so he's like yeah sure no problem so we were up there every day from like march 15th to june 15th and we were learning we were loving life we were just it, it, this was an awesome time for us and then after bloom 2015, we're looking around, we're like, holy shit, where's all the fruit? Oh, no. <laughs> it's just like, there's nothing out here. And I was, we were really bummed. And, uh, Lauren who works with, um, uh, can't remember Lauren's name, but she's works with or Phil. Phil. C- Phil. Yeah. yeah. Lauren. And so she works with Phil and Matt. And so we started talking to her and, and that kind of led us to Corbin Cameron or Corbin Ming, uh, who owns Corbin Cameron, uh, that I, I'd known Corbin for a while, but kind of led to the conversation about getting some fruit and Corbin at the time was like, Hey, I've, I've got, you know, a ton of Cabernet Sauvignon grapes up on my property. So I said, well, that would be great. Cause we don't have a ton down at, at our, <laughs> yeah. uh, at our Nicholas vineyard. And so I'd always wanted to go into the Bordeaux varietals. Um, and this was kind of a, a, a serendipitous entry. Um, and you know, now we're, we're, growing Cabernet Franc Cabernet Sauvignon and um, we're also going to be planting some Grenache this year as well up in Moon Mountain too whoa wait a minute
4: who's who where what when Uh, why where where
3: same just decided
2: yeah so I know you you're you know the ronophiles here it's uh exactly Grenache (laughs) as he rips off his shirt It's like superman dude <laughs> right um so yeah we're we're planting um rootstock uh 110r next month up at the same vineyard nicholas so just below phil's house we, it's only about 800 vines so it's you know it's not going to set any uh you know anything on fire here but we're we're trying to to do something special and
0: so you kind of you didn't quite finish with what happened to that Nicholas cab it sounds like the vineyard is too diseased exactly. it's not producing any fruit so you guys have pulled those vines and we- you're replanting or you've developed a different area
2: combination so yeah those vines produced wines uh for Gunluck Bunch you actually Nicholas vineyard um and Castle Vin- uh, Castle Winery in the late 80s early 90s Lance Cutler um Vic McWilliams were making wine from there. But the, the 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 disease, um, the phloxera, they they just all of a sudden, you know, the cabernet up there is not producing anything. So we're the vineyard is split into two. Um we're going to be replanting um head train grenache on one side. And then if we can talk Max Katuri into ripping the Cabernet out of there, we're gonna try to um head train some maybe some cab again. It's just incredible vineyard, it's eleven hundred feet up, completely southwest uh facing. Um, so we'll, we'll figure out that. that that's kind of the project vineyard Nicholas. We've got like the project vineyard, which is like the 56 Chevy in the garage. <laughs> we've got like the daily driver, which is kind of Corbin's uh, vineyard that we, we buy fruit from. And then we, we also farm Cabernet Franc up in Kenwood, um, in Kinney Canyon still. And we've been selling those grapes, but are now producing wine from those grapes as well. So
1: great analogy with the daily driver and the project in the, in the garage.
2: Not every vineyard's <laughs>
1: the same and is the phylloxera held in the vines alone or does it get into the soil also it's in the soil okay yeah. so when you replant what do you do how do you get around that? you there? plant with phloxera resistant uh, rootstock that's it that's the yeah. only only weapon you have well,
2: well i mean or sand in, it, if you it, have it, high silica soils the phloxera can't survive in that so it, some right. of the the old vines like the morgan Austin. twain peterson's using out in oakley those are own right own vine rooted they, there's no phylloxera out there because it's all sand and the silica they can it can't survive in the silica so in
0: in the old days you used to when a vineyard had phylloxera and I always love to say the old days um okay. you would see they would take the piece of property and they'd rip everything out and they'd cover it in plastic and then they'd um inject methyl bromide methyl bromide Seriously? into um, into the soil which is a which is a biocide so it kills everything mm. and um uh, and then you could replant. Sounds lovely. And so, you know, obviously, <laughs> well, Nuclear bomb. I yeah. mean, we've had, yeah. we've had these discussions, you know, every week, it seems, about, um, you know, uh, chemicals in the vineyard. But um, the business has gotten away from that, I think, probably 100% now.
2: And now what you do is you um, just plant uh, resistant rootstock. Yeah. Yeah. So we're planting 110R and then um, we're going to be planting uh, or grafting the Auburn clone Grenache on top of that. And then hopefully in a few years, we're able to start making wine, uh, Grenache, Mountain.
4: From yeah. W- will you start maybe making rosé with it and then switch to red
2: or are you going to go right into... Uh... <laughs> we're going... No. I mean, we don't want to hop on the rosé train. Yeah. Um, I think that there's, you know, advantages and disadvantages with right. your you know, Quick portfolio. And mm-hmm. yeah. We want to build um, wines that are age-worthy. Um, you know, we, we have one wine to start. But we really want to focus on uh, mountain vineyards, um, big reds, and kind of build our portfolio around um, that sort of pedigree.
4: Cool. And so uh, Bart and I, I know, have started on the 2015. Mm -hmm. Um, You want to talk a little bit about this particular vintage?
2: Yeah. So um, 2015, obviously, you know, quality over quantity. Uh, It's kind of, you know, not a lot of 2015s getting released in 2019. Um, (sighs) It was a... (laughs) Damn, it's beautiful. Thank you. I, I, I'm, I'm in the same
0: boat. I just released 2015. You did? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, actually, I guess that. it was end of 18. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it spent a little extra time in barrels mm-hmm. and um, small winery, getting
2: finances together and stuff like that. So, well, congratulations. That Thank you. <laughs> well, we haven't sold the bottle yet. So, we'll, we'll wait for that. <laughs> wait a minute. What? Oh, we're, we're, we're So, releasing. this has it. Well, oh, you this. guys
3: are some of the first people to yeah. be tasting it. Seriously. Right now. Yeah. Like You're probably in the yeah.
2: first 10 people that ever tried this wine. Holy crap. Um, so, we did uh, 2015, I got a ton of fruit, uh, a 0.9 tons of fruit from Corbin. Um, we did a three day cold soak, 18 day native fermentation. Um, ML went native. Uh, we did three splash racks um, to open it up over 22 months uh, in barrel um i only had two barrels so one french uh or both french um one new signo moreau icon a and then one once used gamba barrel um and so we are trying to create a style that's approachable but still um, elegant and um, fruit forward the extraction in cabernet is very easy in california um you have to certainly uh you know, watch your oak tannins as well. Um, We really wanted to age the wine and make sure it was ready for release. So we did 22 um, months in barrel and then we age it in bottle for about 20 months as well. So it's it takes four years from um, the time we, or almost four years from the time we picked to to the time we released. So we're going to release this wine on St. Patrick's Day, uh, which is three weeks from yesterday, Mm -hmm. I believe, and uh, try to get it out there into the world. So so how is this going to happen? Is it going to be through... um, Mailing list, you have mm-hmm. a, and you'll send out a yeah. Thing. So we only had we made 53 cases, so 636 bottles. Um, and obviously, that is you know, r- it prohibits the amount we can distribute. Um, well, how many are you hanging on to? I'd like to hang on to about 10 to 15. Yeah. Um, so we're only going to sell about 400, 450 bottles. Um, so that model you can't really get too crazy. Um, so we have a mailing list of a couple hundred people that we're hoping to, um, uh, so that we're hoping we will support us. We don't know yet. <laughs> uh, but we, we basically will send out an allocation, an email with an allocation of probably about six, three to six bottles. And you can wish for more if you need. Um, and then we'll try to accommodate as many orders as possible before we sell out, hopefully. Um, right. So that's kind of the the model we're, mm-hmm. we're shooting for. Katie uh, worked at Costa Brown and, and some other higher end pedigree wineries that are in very, you know, Costa Brown kind of came up with the allocation model in a sense. So she's, she's very familiar with it. Um, and we think it'll work well for, for us trying to get going.
3: Mm -hmm. The hardest part about the model is telling people no, which hopefully that'll become our issue eventually. Right, (laughs) It's kind of a dream, I guess. So then,
4: so that first, um, offering is just going to be the 2015 cab and then they'll have to wait another year to get yep. the 2016. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be as, that's good. I like how you're kind of, you know, nice, slow, slow and roll, steady. Right? Yeah. We
2: will r- release, um, this cab on St. Patrick's day every year. And, uh, we're just increasing the production by one barrel a year right now, which is kind of all we can afford. <laughs> right. Um, but that's, that's kind of our model. We're not trying to, um, like I said, get rich quick overnight. This is, um, you know, a, a business model that we're hoping we can, eventually move full time to, but we both have full-time jobs um, and other things going on in our lives. So it's a, a side hustle a night job that we are very passionate about and I um, put our life savings into. And so we're hoping that we can slowly build something that people will admire and, and find to um, you know resemble you know resemble and, and complement a lot of the other higher end Cabernets from Sonoma. You know Laurel Glen, um, Stone Edge, Emma um, Amapola Appo- 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 Creek, uh, Raprie. Some of these uh, winemakers like Jeff Baker, Richard Arrowood, that have been making Eric Bradley, that have been making wine, great yeah. wines for dozens of years. Um, you know, we'd love to be in that conversation eventually. Yeah. And where are you making the wine? So I was making the wine out at Enkidu, um, on Eighth Street for the last three years, and then we just moved um, all our barrels over to Paul Hobbs in Sebastopol, which is where yeah. we make Canzler. Uh, um so it's nice to have kind of everything in one roof. Um right. but yeah, for the last 3 years I've been making out in Canudo and it's kind of like, you know, we're the smallest of the smallest guy. Like we're we're tiny and it's it's I don't think Phil Thinkudo would have even talked to me if I didn't have a previous relationship with involved there cuz to come in and say hey, I want to make two barrels of wine like in the corner. No one wants that kind of yeah. liability and and extra work um but i did everything myself everything topping sulfuring racking i did a couple Uh, you did yeah you were doing punch downs (laughs) uh all the way to borrowing um uh cody rasmussen's uh o2 disbarger at the very end before bottling i mean this was a very very handmade crafted wine um and we knocked it out of the park it's beautiful that's very nice really really nice that's that was my biggest concern is you know i don't have winemaking experience at some famous chateau. I don't have, you know, a father who's been taking me under his wing for, you know, a generation. So my biggest fear was that the wine wasn't going to live up to the expectations. And I've learned a lot about patience uh, from farming and winemaking. I think that that is uh, an element in today's society. We lack a lot of patience, but winemaking, farming, it teaches you that. And I think we're really happy with the products. Um, mm-hmm. It's, you know, we might have some placebo effect in the fact that we are the ones making it, but it's it's very rewarding to share something that is a product of yourself and your hard work yeah. and that people also appreciate.
4: Well, I think you both have incredible palates. I mean, just from your experiences. So I, I would expect you to make... A very good wine. Well, thank you. Or, and if you didn't, I would expect you to say, you know what? Maybe we should get the rid of this barrel, and we'll just tell people that we're moving. Right. Liquid, liquidate well, I, everything. I did join
1: okay. the allocation list. Oh, thank you. Thank you, John. So just You're very just kind. put that in because, well, hey, I want some of that wine.
0: Well, I, you know, it's funny. I was just looking, and I guess this is going to be live on the 15th of March cool and so um, that's perfect timing yeah i mean people uh hopefully can still sign up hopefully it won't be sold out but then wouldn't it be fun if it was sold out and they signed up yeah and then they had to wait a whole another year or john could sell him his allocation
3: Ooh, true (laughs) true that's a decent black
1: market i like that how about one of these bottles i could go out and flog this out on <laughs> down, yeah, down in Sonoma on the square. Yeah.
2: And I mean, we really tried to put a lot of thought in everything from the packaging as well. It, you know, not just what's in the bottle, but what's um, we didn't want to skim.
3: I mean, it's our first release. It's kind yeah. of your, the first. We're, first impressions are huge. Want
2: to talk about? Well, I was
0: going to say sure. I noticed that the artwork is done with someone with a similar last um, name. Last
3: name. <laughs> yeah.
0: So there must be a little bit of a story there.
3: Yeah. So that's um, my mom, actually. So she's she's an artist. She's she doesn't give herself enough credit. Um, but she is an artist. So I'm from Ohio originally. so She lives down there and she does art. I mean, she has a whole art room and Danny found this really captivating photo. Um, that's the Mount of Hostages on the Hill of Tara. So it's kind of this mysterious, <laughs> uh, brooding photo, um, the Mount of, hos- of, of Hostages, I saw
2: that on the, uh, on the website, it's a sacred mm-hmm. burial ground where a lot of the Kings were buried. Um, and it's, I mean, that, that monument is dates back to 2895 BC um it's one of the oldest monuments in northern europe um pretty cool story yeah found a picture that had always really captivated me um it's got a bit of mystery behind it there's a story there and we were trying to find someone to to...
3: yeah so i i showed the picture to my mom and um i just asked i mean we really wanted to tie family into all aspects of our label and um so my mom drew up a little. Mock of it, and we loved it. She did all oil paints for it, and um, yeah, I think it's just pretty. It's pretty neat to have it tied back to family again. It reminds
1: me of what Alice Pennis does. Also, she yeah. she's done a couple of labels for Samps uh, over at Winery Sixteen Six Hundred. Mm-hmm. or actually, this one was a label for uh, Girl in the Fig, I believe.
4: It was for one of the uh, right, their Vineron uh,
1: labels, correct? Yeah,
4: she's
3: so talented. Nice which I
4: still am bitter about because I had a label for that wine, uh. and it had a motorcycle on it. It was so badass. And then I was told, <laughs> "No, Alice is doing the label. <laughs> <laughs> Your dreams are crushed." It was like gang style um, writing. It was it was gonna be so awesome. I had the whole thing.
3: Maybe our Grenache label. You never know. I was gonna say, do you? <laughs>
0: There it is. <laughs> I
4: say, do you still?
0: You didn't give that up to those no, folks, I did you? It. Oh, good. I'll
4: I'll, sh- I'll shoot it to you. and Let me know if it looks good to you. If you you know wow. if what you're going for is a, a little edgy vibe, is a little '80s uh, graffiti <laughs> New York
1: motorcycle
4: gang. Uh, look you never know. I got totally you covered for that.
0: I, I'm sure. Or like
3: Irish some. gang theme. Right. <laughs> now, do you have?
1: Do you still have friends and family in Ireland?
2: Oh yeah, everybody's in Ireland. And Are England. they
1: losing their mind about Brexit right now?
3: Uh, we don't talk about Brexit. That's <laughs> a mess. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, yeah.
1: how those people got talked into that mess, I have no damn idea. Seriously. Yeah, it's, it's one of the biggest, stupidest wonders <laughs> I've ever seen a country make. Yep. So,
0: Katie, how did you um, end up in Sonoma, California from Ohio?
3: Oh, oh everyone thinks Ohio. But it's Ohio, O J A I. Everyone's high. like, "Wow, Ohio! You came so far."
0: Ohio, God. Ohio. So about yeah. so six hours south. Yeah. But so you, in, in, in it, that's wine country.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. And I always thought, honestly, I always thought I'd end up down there. But um, so I graduated high school. We don't have to say when. You guys can figure it out by what I tell you. Um, but I graduated high school during the, re- the height of the recession, um, and so I was going to be a business major as it was, but. <laughs> you know, I was chatting with my dad and, um, and he was like, you know, I really think you should focus in more of a niche market. What about the wine industry? I mean, you love people, you love, you know, you're outgoing, just the whole farming aspect's really interesting. It could just be a good move for you. And so he actually bought me um, the how to launch your wine career book by Brian Emilio and Liz Tosh, who actually ended up being my professor at Sonoma State, which no is really way. neat. Yeah. Wow. So it kind of came full circle as I was 18 but just reading, reading the book and just kind of seeing all the different facets in the wine industry, you could go down, you know, different um, avenues. I was just so intrigued and just fell in love with it. Even in high school, um, uh, didn't have, didn't have wine then, but, <laughs> <just kidding>. um, <laughs> but, um, I ended up going to Sonoma state and did, um, the wine program there. And I always thought I, mean, I moved to Santa Rosa, which was just so different than in Roner park, just mm-hmm. so different than. Little town of Ojai, but um I ended up falling in love with it. And as I made more connections in the wine industry, I just I felt like I'd be kind of stupid to leave. So I ended up staying and um actually my first internship in the wine industry was at Costa Brown. And um
1: <laughs> What a lousy place to yeah, start no. out. Seriously. <laughs> well, I think on. they hired
3: me because they felt bad for me because I was twenty one drinking, you know. Sauvignon Blanc from Marlborough, you know, seven ninety nine Marlborough from or Sauvignon Blanc from Trader Joe's, and I go into my interview and I really had no idea what Costa Brown was. There was just a posting on the Sonoma State website, and went in and they ended up hiring me as their first marketing intern, and it was such an incredible experience and such a great, great way or great place to get my foundation in the wine industry.
2: And then and, you've been a lot of other prestigious wineries since, right?
3: Yeah, so um, after that, after costume, I was at Chateau Montelena in Napa, um, in Calistoga, and that was such an incredible experience to see that legacy from the '70s, um, and then up to Three Sticks in Sonoma, where yeah, <laughs> we met. absolutely, yep, yeah, um, which was great. Um, and Bill Price was, was at Costa Brown too. So it kind of came full circle for right. me working for Bill, for Bill Price again, for his own label, which is really neat.
4: And you got to hang around with Bob Cabral who was yes. one of my favorite winemakers. Oh, me too. Yeah. Bob's
3: amazing. Yeah. So seeing his legacy as well. And um, yeah, I mean, incredible. Now I'm at Lambert bridge and yeah, it's just been really neat to kind of, the wine industry is so, so interesting. And I think it's more sort of the people that you meet, which really has just kept me in the industry. All the amazing people you meet along the way. And
0: and is Jen still the winemaker at Lambert Bridge?
3: Yeah. She's such an inspiration to me, too. So She's amazing.
0: Jen and her husband, Ken, mm-hmm. and I. Jen and
3: Ken. Jen and Ken. <laughs> and Mark
0: <laughs> Evich yeah. and Lisa Evich. Yep way back when we used to make homemade wine together. Oh wow. my gosh. And, um, we used to get, um, we used to, well, so Ken used to do the website for the San Giacomo's before the San Giacomo's needed a website. And so he would <laughs> trade for grapes. So we would get wow. a wow. ton of Pinot from the home ranch. Mm-hmm. And, um, we all made, ho- we, we all made wine together. It was, it was a little rough. I mean, cause you had one, two, three, five, yeah, there were five of us and we all had an opinion on how things were, mm-hmm. should have been done. And, whatnot so we did it for a few years it was a lot of fun but yeah we drank and ate really well during sounds amazing those years, um and made some pretty good wines yeah um but yeah jen's gone on and done real well and lisa's yes. the winemaker at see me now mm-hmm. and mark turned to the other cheek and is in sales but yeah
2: he sells some nice barrels so yeah, no, that's does. great. Yeah, Jen's a fantastic winemaker, yeah, and does. and she's she's not also a wonderful person too. And she's well, I never
3: met a met a winemaker who loves talking to people more than she does. I mean, yeah. she comes out during tastings and just loves chatting with people and engaging. And I feel like for the most part, that's pretty rare for a winemaker. They like to stay back and do their thing. But sounds
0: like she needs more work. <laughs> like she needs something else. <laughs> that's a thing.
3: She balances it so balances it so well. Or is she
0: one of
4: those? I let the grapes speak for themselves. Oh, my <laughs> <gosh>. <laughs> yeah, as long as you're bringing me good fruit i just crush it and put it in a barrel yep (laughs) so funny well it's a little different world out there too in dry creek valley i was telling you guys i was just out there last week um going to the fish hatchery taking Mm -hmm. the the field trip out there and it's that's old vines out there when you're driving on that road all you're seeing is those old gnarly gnarly. Mm -hmm. vines yeah so what what varietals are you guys working with out there
3: so out there it's um mostly bordeaux varietals so um we source from a vineyard called Bevel with Viognier and Sauvignon Blanc. But then um, Lairbridge owns Chambers Vineyard, which is actually in Fountain Grove, Appalachian, technically, in Santa Rosa. Mm-hmm. It's pretty neat because Jen actually grew up on that property, knew the original owners. Her and Ken got wow. married out there. I mean, she has a she an amazing story about Chambers. But all of, all five Bordeaux varietals are grown out there, as well as Chardonnay. And then we actually, um, Lairbridge actually owns a seven acre vineyard up on Moon Mountain as well. Right, mm-hmm. <laughs> Called Gilfillan and Vineyard.
0: And and is that on Trinity or is that on Cavedale? I
3: believe it's Cavedale. Yeah. I've never been up it's there. Lower but on
2: Cavedale than yeah. where we're at. We're it's
3: about thirteen hundred feet, I think. So
2: Yeah. Yeah. Corbin's, Corbin's is about twenty two to twenty five hundred mm-hmm. I mean Corbin's really at the very at the top of the hill. There's He's not the much peak. higher, right? Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, there's less than three percent of the grapes in California are farmed above one thousand feet elevation. And um, so that kind of puts yourself in a very unique. Well, say that again, because I think that's important. Uh, less than three percent of the grapes grown in California are above one thousand feet elevation. Wow. Great stat. Wow. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Yeah,
4: I thought you were going to say 3% of the wine's coming out of Napa. And I was like... Um, that makes sense. That's one of my favorite post- stats to tell people when they come to visit. Do you yep. know how much wine actually comes out of Napa? They're like
1: 80%? No. <laughs> the Central Valley is so huge. I mean... It is. When, yeah. I, mean, when I was driving back from Carmel and San Luis Obispo, etc., um, I was just... I mean, that was the first time I had really ever seen Oompa, vines <laughs> for <laughs> yeah. vines forever. I mean, well, and the sheer sure oh, yeah. number of Good tons per
0: acre that you can get on some of those, uh, you know, large vineyards is pretty amazing.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, you know.
1: What do you think they pull in down there? I mean, that's, that's pretty much all bulk wine down there, isn't it? No, not
0: everything. Not everything, but okay. it's probably majority of it's in, as Ian Cobble said, um, between your shoulders and your knees and grocery stores. Mm-hmm. So not bulk wine. I okay. mean, cork finished bottled wine, a lot of it, but. Um, uh, you know, uh, what do you think, Danny? F- five to seven tons of the acre. Oh, uh, probably North some that, places. I mean, some d- t- it ten depends on right. Like,
2: you can hang Sauv Blanc for like eight tons an acre, and right. You know, I mean,
0: w- at Kenwood when we had Yalupa Vineyard, we used to get on a cordon quadrilateral cordon system. Chewy would get. uh, 10 tons of the acre Chardonnay. and it was always and so blanc even yeah. higher and it was mm-hmm. always ripe and it was always you know beautiful um you know could it have been more intensely flavored and whatnot you know probably so and i think that's why a lot of people went away from it but at the time um it was pretty amazing to see that i mean yeah. it was mm-hmm. just there was
2: just fruit everywhere and it was all beautiful so it is a amazing. different time
1: it's just so big down there yeah. It's amazing.
2: Yeah, it's, it's kind of getting ridiculous. Um, but, you know, it's everyone's got, I mean, everybody has their own, their own. business model mm-hmm. and, and right. whatever works for them, that's how they want to do it. Well, and as Jim Wallace said, you're not going anywhere these days
1: without a story, Certainly. without a real brand story that's not concocted. It's not like I'm going to come from Chicago and come out here and say, okay, I've been living here all the time. I was born up in, you know. Contra Costa County, whatever. I'm, I'm, you know, I've got horses like Bart. I've got, you know, I like the Grateful Dead like Sam. I mean, how do I put a story together? Like mm-hmm. that? It's just, it has to be genuine. Yeah. yeah. And you, you guys have the best. I mean, seriously. Now, I saw you stick your nose in that glass and swirl a little bit.
3: Is this a yeah. 16? What do yeah. you,
1: what uh, do you, get out of here. What are you thinking when you do
0: that?
3: Do you want to explain powerful So, organs? you know what, I, I
0: you know, b- before, before you guys go into that, I'm going to put in my two bits. After trying the fifteen and sixteen, and you know, Phil talked in uh, a couple episodes ago. Phil talked about his favorite thing is to uh, do a vertical tasting, um, same winemaker, same vineyard, um, most likely similar uh, winemaking practices. So where you taste the difference in the vintage, and this is a great example of it. And there's mm-hmm. no doubt on smelling these wines that they are from the same vineyard. Mm-hmm. I mean. They're, and and it's easy for us to say it because we're trying them in in line like this, but um, it's it's there the 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 vineyard's um, foot or imprint is there. So yeah. go ahead.
2: And I also got to give a huge shout out to the Ming family, um, Corbin and his father Mitchell, particularly. Um, they could have easily said like we don't you know we're not interested in helping out you small guys. They are the nicest family. Um, they are so supportive of us and they've mm-hmm. given us such an incredible foundation to be able to have this opportunity like without them we're not even sitting at the table without my brother-in-law who helps in the in the vineyard we're not sitting at this table so it's not even though we're kind of you know the vintners and, and winemakers that are producing this this brand it's there's so many other people behind the scenes and the Mings are a huge part of that so we have to be you know give credit where credits due um, always. Seriously, mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. that's the way you do it. Yeah. It takes a village as especially so when you're very small. Like us. Yeah. Um so, you know, back to uh this vineyard. I mean, this vineyard is is incredible not only because it's a half a mile high, um but you know, it's planted in 2000. Uh Phil's been farming it for the last several years and it takes a while to you know create quality in the vineyard. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, part of that patience that we were talking about and having Phil in there, he knows that mountain so well. Um, he converted everything from cordon to cane pruned, uh, lowered the yields per acre um started doing cover crops i mean it it was you know a transformation over time but now it is producing some incredible bordeaux varietals um so i'm excited about what corbin's making Um, there's a couple other small wine winemakers that are starting to pull fruit off of there as well and uh, we feel blessed to be be a part of that vineyard now um as well as you know farming our own vineyards as well um so yeah 2016 totally different vintage. Uh, it was the fifth year of what we call like the five year drought, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Um, we had in 16, we had what's co- what most people call the March miracle. We had a, a large, uh, warm set of storms come through in March that, um, kind of, you know, gave some water into reservoirs because it was so late in the season. It didn't create a lot of snowpack. Um, but we still had, quite a bit more water in 16. So we had a lot more uh, growth throughout the year. You had to really, really make sure your canopy was managed. Otherwise, you were getting a lot of green vegetative um, uh, taste in in the wines. Um, The other thing that was interesting about 16, and this happened in 17 too, is there was a lot of, there was kind of these heat spikes around Labor Day. And the big difference that you'll see, especially in Sonoma, is is the Valley 4 cab will ripen in kind of like early to mid-September. And the stuff that's up on the mountaintops it won't really it'll ripe it'll ripen in terms of sugar but not um, uh, physiological ripeness until middle early October and that extra month of hang time is huge for the ageability and the quality of, of what I can of the wines I believe um, yeah what
4: did Phil say last week ripeness is not bricks
2: right. correct mm-hmm. no there's there's the physiological ripeness the sugar ripeness the acidity I mean all these need to get factored into the into the pick call
0: yeah, I mean, you have to be in out there tasting the fruit. You have to taste the juice. You have to wait for the color of the grapes to start to, you know, go from looking like watermelon juice or strawberry juice to something dark, you know. Uh, because you can get their sugar. You can make a 14 and a half alcohol
1: wine, but it won't taste very good.
2: Yeah, and actually I brought um, something that you would probably like to geek out on.
1: Yeah, we were looking at these maps before we started the show today. And you've got really interesting maps of your vineyards where you're showing that you've got a lot of undulations in that vineyard, you said. A lot of hills and small uh, valleys. And you you said you had a map that showed indicated the vigor of the plants itself and how it varied between a low spot and a high spot of what it was doing. It's pretty fascinating. Well, and also,
0: John, remember, like Phil was saying, when you're farming on top of a mountain, there's going to be areas where there's soil and there's areas where there are rocks. And that also has a lot to do with the vigor. So that's also part of what Danny's going to be um, reading in this map that he has.
2: Yeah, I mean, the advantages of technology in today's farming world have allowed us to improve significantly. I think one of the most fascinating things I've learned about farming is there's so much that happens underneath the soil that we don't see or take into consideration. We just see the vine and we're like, oh, that looks healthy or that looks like shit. And it's all about like what happens under the soil is a, the, 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 the stuff that we see is a product of what happens in the soil. And so one of um, one of the things that we we study and and that um, the Mings and Phil have um uh, put invested into is, uh, an NDVI map, which is a normalized difference veg- vegetation index. And this is a satellite image that, um, provides you with an aerial view of the vigor of the vineyard. And so you can really understand what areas are, uh, heavier and lighter in canopy, which will determine pick calls, uh, taste and, and, uh, quality of the wine. So that's, that's kind of a fun, um, piece of information to, to study and to help get, get better at making, um, Wines from the same place, vintage uh, dependent. You know, so it's it's really smart and important to start investing in these sort of things that help you become right. better. Um, you know, to not only farm better, but also to make better wine.
4: And, and are you able to make changes? So if you see there's an area in the vineyard where there's less vigor, yeah. then you can go in and say, okay, what's going on here?
2: Yeah, we can prune it back to less buds, you know? And so um, less buds will create less, you know, less less canes, and less canes right. will have less vigor. So right. um, all of this information relates to um, pick calls and, and um, at the end of the day, how you're going to be making the wine.
4: And ideally, you'd like to see that probably
2: your vineyard all the same color on that map. It makes you know what I mean? Seem, mm-hmm. It make, makes pick calls a lot easier when the block is consistent. Yeah. Um the block 5 that Corbin gave me is probably the hardest block to pick and that's probably why I gave it to me. It's got a half of it's on a 40% grade it's got a swale in the middle of it that just gets a ton of percent grade so um, you just yeah. you just no uh, trackers. you Stop. just tie katie off and and send her down i was gonna go up there and start katie, you i was gonna like, when it was snowing up there last week i was gonna go get my bobsled and start snowing going down the hills man it was like a straight slalom um and then i've got a couple of, uh soil maps as well that i think are very important for um when you're far on the farming side um and and obviously how does the, how does the soil match
1: up with the figure map i mean as bart said what phil was talking about you know he's growing in pure rock though you yeah know, that he makes into a vineyard so at some point is it is it more the undulations like you were saying before or is it more the well it's soil? a combination all of,
2: of all of them right. but the, the soil up in moon mountain is is you know primarily volcanic basalt obsidian uh granite and what's great about the the mountains is the lack of topsoil. You only have about twelve to eighteen inches of topsoil, and then the vine will start getting down into this volcanic rock, and the volcanic rock breaks really easily, so the roots can get down and very good, uh, very well drained, um, very low fertility. So the vine's got to work, and when it's working, that's what we want. So it's a pain in the ass to farm. The vine probably hates it, but goddamn, it makes some good wine. Mm-hmm. You know, John, I. I I always associate it with,
0: um, you know, wines that come from when when they have to struggle and when they come from diverse soils and they have the influence of all that, you know, rock and and volcanic material, it gives the wine, um, it makes it very unique. um, It makes it multifaceted um, and it gives the wine some soul as opposed to some vineyards that are grown in really, really deep soils up in the Russian River. No offense mm-hmm. to any Pinot producers up there at all. But the wines can be a little more one-dimensional, you know, where the grape flavors will be. And someone's going to hear this and, and and call me out on it. But I'm just saying... It just starts it, a good discussion. Yeah, it does. It, <laughs> as I said, you know, you can't make change until you have a conversation. So, mm-hmm. um, But in general, yeah, mountaintop
2: fruit makes more unique and... Um, uh, different wines and age-worthy wines. I think, um, yeah, the you know the climate is so extreme up at that elevation. Uh, you have a lot of big differences in, cha- in um, temperature. The winds are ex- extremely volatile up there, and that 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 climate and conditions will um, directly impact the fruit and ultimately the wine. So
1: when you take when you swirl and you you smell this
2: and you taste it, what are you getting out of it? Describe this, Jimmy. Well, my wife has a better palate than, my, than no, I, so that's, I'll let that's her not take not true.
3: I'll take well, either opinion. I think on both the 15 and the 16, I was, I, I was surprised by the bright acidity in the wine, and I think that's just the vineyard in general. I think you think mountain vineyards won't have that for some reason, but this, I mean...
2: The acidity is a very unique factor in Corbin's... Um, Vineyard, and, and I got a couple of numbers here that'll kind of blow your mind. And I, I honestly haven't found someone that can give me an explanation for this yet. But the it actually, um, oh. the wine gains a city. allow me, <laughs> <The> wine, <laughs> you <laughs> need an opinion, real bad. He's got a real bad so, opinion. So, <laughs> uh, so I picked this, uh, this is the 16. okay. So I picked this on October 13th, 2016, 21 days on skins in the light of the moon. Uh, I think I, I avoid it. I avoid full moons on picks. There's too much microbial activity. But um, so my my pre-fermentation numbers. So this this sampled when I first picked it. It came in at 3.59 pH, 4.6 TA. Post primary fermentation, the pH went down to 3.4, and the TA went up to 7.3. And so somehow during primary fermentation, this wine gains acidity specifically uh to tradable acidity it's the same thing happened in 15 it went from um, 5.31 ta to a 6.9 ta and so it's really weird because the the wine gains acidity during fermentation um the acidity doesn't drop out of these grapes like at all i mean i'm picking in middle 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 of october at 26 25 to 26 degree bricks and it's still got you know a ton of acid that's Uh, uh I mean, I think some of that speaks to the
0: diurnal's, you know, the temperature um, fluctuation mm-hmm. between the heat of the day and at night. Um, you know, and again, you know, uh, really, really hot places with not a lot. I mean, with a lot of soil, acids tend to like drop out and yeah. go away. And I think growing up there in the mountains, it preserves
2: it. I don't know why it goes up yeah um, mm-hmm. but yeah that is the question i'm trying to figure out so if you have a winemaker listening and can explain why the, the acid goes up during primary fermentation i would with love no to know. additions by the with thing. no mm-hmm. additions right. yeah it just naturally goes up and it kind of blows my mind and, and even alex kansler who i work with every day can't explain it and the acidity is important for the wines we're making as well because we do want them to be age worthy mm-hmm. and that acidity it helps with the you know the, the length of the finish obviously and kind of lifts up the fruit but ageability. i think the acidity needs to be there Um, i'm gonna take a shot
4: at it i'm gonna say that there is some acidity that is locked in the tannins of the wine that somehow then get
2: released at a later date during temperature from correct it hits 85 whatever you were gonna say i was gonna say yes (laughs)
0: <laughs> Barks I, I, I have yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, Ryan, it well, it sounds good. It does but sound I good. I didn't go to. Sounds U. like a Katuri line of bullshit yeah, to me. I, I didn't go to UC <laughs> D- Davis where they teach you how wine is made. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, you know what? I, I my impressions of the wine is one. It has great. Um uh, varietal characteristics mm-hmm. in both the aroma. I think right now the aroma a little not closed, but it's not very expressive. Mm-hmm. But I think that goes along with the wine. It's very, very young, it's a long right. time in barrels. Yeah, this one is, you know, mountain top
2: fruit. This um, was bottled uh, 10 weeks ago,
0: yeah, the 16 I, I'm thinking that the um, when the bottle's about half open or half full, and then when there's like 25% left, then it's really going to start yeah. showing itself. Yeah, totally. Um, the acid is great because it does give the wine nice lift, and the tannins are nice, tight-grain, fuzzy tannins. Mm-hmm. T- mm-hmm. Danny, I think you guys did well. Thank
2: you very much. For, you know, That's my two bits. Keeping the integrity of the varietal is important to us. Yeah. I, you have... So it's so easy to overextract in California, and I think
3: overextract and over oak. Yeah, yeah, and over
2: and so we really do our. I mean, the style we're going for is approachable, approachability, um, ageability,
3: And true expression of the vineyard without. Yeah,
2: and so you know, it's um, with with the small quantities we have, we can't make a lot of mistakes. But, uh, <laughs> what kind of retail right. are you going to put on these? Uh, we are selling those for seventy-five dollars a bottle, um, okay. and hopefully, we can. <laughs> we can get that. It's, just make sure that's the hardest part. Pricing is so hard. Allocation
1: gets slotted in there. I, I
3: just, I just got your email. <laughs> <laughs> I like I saw it. it. Well,
4: and just so everyone knows, when you're talking about Moon Mountain, and and I've spent um in the last month spent quite a few days up there at Reprie and Be Wise, and um just doing some tastings and tours, and I I try to explain to people that if if you just hop over, especially when you're someplace like up at Corbin Cameron, you just hop over the hill a little bit, you're gonna pay. $150, 200 twice mm-hmm. easy, easy. Uh, oh, yeah. for a bottle of Cab. But you're just hopping over this side of the ridge, and you're getting, I think, even better quality, as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned. Um, arguably better, arguably better, better, better wines for what you're talking about. Seventy five dollars is. Thank you. You're talking about value oriented wine, yeah. and, but it's a premium project. I mm-hmm. mean, it's 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 a high end wine, but yep.
2: at that price, is still a value oriented. You product. drop this right. on
1: anybody right. with a Napa taste bud. 150 dollars
2: i went to a tasting last week in napa um and there was multiple uh cabs out and obviously making cab i want to go and explore and so i start tasting and i ask retail and the cheapest one i could find was
1: 225
2: holy shit really i mean it's you know napa is a four-letter word that allows you to triple your price and i'm sorry about that it's well you know i think it just is as, as the consumer gets more educated and as, as we do a better job of, um, you know, Moon mountains only been an AVA for a real AVA for like four years. Right. Well,
3: that being said, look at the price increases too, for moon mountain. Yeah. I mean, like Cayman's is at 225, right? For cashmere or I think it's it's up somewhere up up there. there. Yeah. one ninety five.
2: But there's so many incredible wines coming out of moon mountain district with the talent of winemakers up there, um, Bart included and, uh, you know, it's going to take a bit of time for people to probably realize like, Oh, instead of that two twenty five, I can go get a bottle of moon mountain for half the price. And it's just as good. It'll take time to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or yeah, better. And I think it's more and, approachable. Yeah. And it is, um, you know, we get, we need people to be aware
0: of the uniqueness of moon mountain mm-hmm. and its proximity to Napa. And, you know, and, and let's face it in the grape growing has changed a lot, um, in the past 10 to 15 years up there and, uh, f- all for the better. Um, you know, going for more site specific farming as opposed to just general farming of grapes, um, which is really helping with the quality.
1: Mm -hmm. That's really interesting though, Bart, you know, really choosing, I guess your battles where, what fits best in this particular small microclimate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it, it only takes people how many years to figure that out. I mean, how, how long have they been growing up there at moon mountain? uh yeah Yeah. several decades i mean it's uh it's not a new and how about napa when did they start producing really
0: well i i I, that could be argued i mean the oldest commercial winery is here in sonoma valley i mean that's where commercial wine business in california started
1: all right when did napa explode Eighties, so late seventies, eighties,
0: Robert Mandavi okay. would be that. And, you know, there were very few wineries, um, at that point, but, you know, remember we had this whole conversation with, um, Tim Wallace or Mike, but remember Robert Mandavi said to Bruno Benziger, you know, you can't Funny call Brian, those, you, you can't, can't call, call those Chardonnay Chardonnay, Chardonnay like yeah. that at that price. And, and Bruno
2: said, but it is Chardonnay. So, um, and i think the other challenge is napa is so good at um identifying what they are about sonoma is so much bigger we can grow anything here we can go killer grenache we can go grow killer diverge demeanor but it's sonoma is so diverse and it's so spread out that the identity of it is not 75 dollar moon mountain cap it's more pinot chardonnay and so i think that it's gonna change there's going i mean change is inevitable the The goal that I hope for is that with people like Phil Katuri up there leading the charge in farming and guys like Jeff Baker, Eric Bradley, uh, Richard Airwood up making the wines like over time, people are going to really respect Moon Mountain. It's going to become essentially the, the best cab spot in Sonoma.
4: I agree. And I'm I also really love the Sauvignon Blancs that are coming off from
3: the oh, yeah. too. There's yeah.
4: something about them that um,
3: Stone Edge. Oh. Uh,
4: oh amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Even Cayman and Petronia yeah. I mean, all of them mm-hmm. are just solid Sauvignon Blancs where you're getting a lot of that sansera like qualities mm-hmm. too. You're getting a lot of that real nice grapefruit quality. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're just delicious wines. And it's, so it's almost yeah, it's almost like we got our own little Bordeaux Hill up there. It's true.
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah. All oh, we oh you didn't Morgan have some Sauvignon growing up there? he has got Gewurzt or, oh, Alta in, Vista in the um, Monteroso vineyard, right? Oh, so that, yeah, so makes... there's
0: there's Semion, The oldest Semion in California is um, uh, in Monterosso. Um, yeah. We used to get a little bit out of it at Lasseter. Um, Carlisle gets some and Morgan gets some. And then he's got a Gewurz vineyard that's quite old that's also up in Moon Mountain District. Um, uh, and then, you know, don't forget also that down on the northern side of... Um, of uh, sonoma valley uh, the Montecillo vineyard owned by karen lee which was mike lee's um uh, property um th- you know you have Arnott roberts making cab there you have um, morgan peterson making some wine from that and stuff and so there's a lot of people you know young winemakers established winemakers all um, leading the charge for for moon mountain sonoma valley
1: how do you think it's going to change though bart you made a comment off mike uh, it's going to change from pinot chart oh
0: no. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm saying, uh, you know, Sonoma County um, and again, Sonoma County is much bigger than Sonoma Valley. Sonoma County as a whole has been kind of been recognized as Chardonnay and Pinot Noir land and 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 good for us. Um, it, it's awesome. But I think it's kind of lost in that has been, you know, Zinfandel. Um, and Cabernet, that you know, somehow it's it's not as high a quality, or it's, it's not as as recognized. I shouldn't say quality; mm-hmm. it's just not as recognized just because the other have been so popular. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir—that's, cool. that's yeah, you're it talking right about now, the old, right? yeah, the old um, style, you know. And then let's look at you know what's going on with the Rhone varieties coming in, and right, you know, who oh. and we're well, cueing, I don't know,
3: your ganache again to open <laughs> yeah. up your sweater. I yeah. don't, th- <laughs> I, I
1: don't think we're going to be a uh, Rhone style only here Rona alone but nonetheless i mean everybody is going to get more known as danny said everything has its spot here in the valley well and and then very diverse right and there's a whole
0: discussion about some of these you know the iberian um varieties um and you know those hot varieties with climate change and how are they going to Make it, you know, verdeo, um, and and um, and stuff
1: like that. I just read another article yesterday about England. Mm-hmm. You know, how oh, champagne is oh great yeah. in England. It's like the British no, bubbly. No way in hell.
2: It's <laughs> no, delicious. But it is? Night Yeah. yeah. Mm. Night Timber, Yeah. Katie... Uh, well, you had a hot stand at Banshee, and they imported some British bubbles, and we were uh, lucky enough to have <laughs> a, a few. We had, we had one shelf of our that fridge that amazing, for a while was no. British bubbles. Oh yeah, it's so great! It's great. I mean, yeah. they've, they've got the soils, um, the yep. chalk, and the, it's it's beautiful in Southern England, but they don't right, have the, the, the climate here. So, you know, it's it is fun, and, and I also think that you're you're starting with custom crush facilities are now allowing smaller, more focused winemakers to carve out their little niche and, you know, make their hundred, 200, 300 cases of specific varietals. And, you know, it's not just these big 800 pound gorillas trying to crank out eight tons an acre of Sauvignon Blanc to get into their 699 Sauvignon Blanc. There's, Um, so I, we feel very lucky to be part of this kind of generational transition and, and some of these smaller winemakers that don't have the money to buy a piece of land. You're
1: right at the epicenter, man.
2: Seriously. Well, and John, I think it's, and
4: it's important too, to, to, to kind of say that again, that there's people out there that, you know, have seen the same wines on the same shelves in their stores that have to realize there's something else that's going on here. And, and, and what Danny's saying, especially with the custom crush pad facility has created this almost almost artisanal community Mm -hmm. of these people that, you know, have these incredible talents, but before would have had to go work at a large winery and, Mm -hmm. and make the wines that those people want them to make. And now they're getting to do, and a lot of them are side jobs. Like you guys are doing most, a lot of the people we talk to are, yeah, I work for these people during the day. And then my passion project at night is this is that. Well, look at
1: Trasketti over at uh, Bialy with his Aesop wine. I mean, that's his passion project Mm -hmm. or, um, um Mathis mm-hmm. right you yeah know, I mean look Mathis has been at um what was know, it Ravenswood making Zen at Ravenswood forever for for right. and ever and ever and now he's got his beautiful Grenache I but love it yeah. just
4: takes a little more work it's not it's not going to your store and, and seeing what's on the shelf it's saying listening to a podcast like this or going going online and or you know finding the right resources to to say oh these are wines that are being made in super small amounts that I have access to through email or website that can actually get sent right to my house and is a very different wine than something I'm gonna get in the stores. Yeah. Um, I loved that conversation you guys had with Ian Cobble about the addition of sugars to a lot of the wines that are in the supermarkets and I thought that was really interesting that there's a reason people are um, sort Flocking of enjoying to those, yeah. <laughs> those yellowtail type mm-hmm. cupcake um, <laughs> wines, <laughs> right? Of sugar. That You can get in my 7-Eleven right across the street from Sonoma State at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah, what you guys are doing, um, is very special. And I like the way you've started slow with the, with the, just doing the one cab. And then you said moving on to Cabernet
2: Franc coming up soon. So excited. So you see Grenache going into the ground. We are. Yeah. I mean, Um, we started, uh, so I spend about 200, 225 days a year in the vineyard with my brother-in-law um mainly on the Cab Franc vineyard that's up in Kinney Brook mm-hmm. Canyon 1600 vines um clone 4 on 1 or 1103 Paulson um we've taken over in, at the end of 2015 we started uh farming it and we've been farming it for 3 years we started selling the grapes to Deerfield for a few years mm-hmm. and um they were very happy with the fruit, and then finally last year we were able to take a ton off of the vineyard. So we're now making Cab Franc, uh, Cab Sauv from Corbin's, and then we're, we'll do a red blend too. So some of that Cab Franc is actually in barrel right now.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got three barrels of Cab Franc and five barrels of Cab Sauv from the 18th vintage. So nice. I don't know if we're the smallest uh, winery in America anymore, but we're pretty <laughs> darn close. <laughs> well. Do Go oh, ahead. Sorry, I was going to say the Grenache.
4: What I wanted to tell you is that when Bart and I were pouring at the Chronicle um, um, wine tasting uh, last week or the week before, I thought one of the really cool, funny comments was a, was a woman that was there with her parents, and she was kind of explaining. They were f- familiar with Pinot Noir and Cabernet, and, and Grenache wasn't something they were very familiar with, and mm-hmm. she she explained it this way to them. She said, oh, Grenache is like the new hipster Pinot. That's <laughs> oh, Interesting. That's
3: really <laughs>
0: I, do that. I, I like uh, Manfred Crankle's comment about um, Gr- Grenache delivers on what Pinot promises.
3: Wow. Ooh. Well,
2: when you're selling it at his prices, he better deliver. be delivering something for $250 <laughs> a bottle at Synchronon. <laughs> I've
3: been on the wait list for like 15 years. <laughs> yeah.
4: Sondra Bernstein is still on the wait list at
3: Synchronon. I mean, how ridiculous wow. is that? I went to high school that with their ridiculous. kids. I'm like, don't I
1: have an in? <laughs> yeah. Well, we've heard uh, stories about Costa Brown allocation, being the one holed up in a, in a high-powered divorce. Oh, so right. It's like, no, you're not getting it. And you're not keeping it. Well, and I so. was telling Danny earlier that I just had a couple in, in
4: for dinner last night that was looking for a Pinot, and they saw the Kanzler on the list, and, and the guy was like, oh, they have the Kanzler. And he said, you know, I used to buy Costa Brown, but the prices just kept creeping up and yeah. getting higher and higher. So he said, I finally figured out. Well, Costa Brown is from the Kanzler Vineyard. Why don't I just reach out to these the Kanzler resource. people and find out <laughs> if I can get the wine directly from them? So he's been a happy wine club member oh,
3: for a while. Oh, that's awesome. Very cool.
2: Well, you know, if you go to the source. You know, you don't have to cut out you cut out the middleman, and yeah. we're selling it for $80. There. Costa Brown selling it for $110, $120. Yeah. Right. Um, but, yeah, no, we're excited about the Grenache edition. I think it's um, it's an underappreciated varietal. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, it's the most... Widely planted red varietal nope. in the in or cultivar in the world, yet in in California hasn't quite taken on from a consumer standpoint. Um, so we're excited about it. I think it would complement uh, a red blend Cab Franc and Cab Sauv really nicely, especially uh, from, uh, you know, don't tell Robert, but we're gonna go grab some Budwood from him uh, up at Cayman later this year and try to um, graft over. So it's an exciting project. Um, we're very very dedicated and committed to the the, the vineyard. And the winemaking side, and excited. You're
1: about. the one who finally um, explained what clones were, because uh, when we were uh, talking, remember? At yeah, Involve, we, did a, when um, we did the one seven seven, the six seven one one five six six seven, Okay, and then a blend of all, yeah. And so, I mean, you had us pick out our favorites, and which one had some structure, which one had some backbone, et cetera, and which ones were our favorites. Yeah. But I, I found that very interesting, and and you know, you've been referencing it. Anytime you say, yeah, we're going to plant this, it's clone whatever. So, thank you. I I appreciate you explaining that to me years and years and years ago, but it (laughs) took somebody like you to make sense for it.
4: Well, if anyone, I mean, I think the simplest way to explain it for people out there that don't really know a lot about wine is if you got a tomato plant, you got a tomato plant that's got different tomatoes. Everyone has different tomatoes in their garden. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, along the same lines, you got just different clones of grapes and different vinifera i knew
1: knew that there was a tomato and maybe a (laughs) beefsteak tomato or maybe a (laughs) roma tomato but other than that uh,
2: i use the automobile uh metaphor in that you know toyota's toyota but it's got corollas and it's got tacomas right just like cabernet sauvignon or pinot has you know one one five and seven 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 it's like one is a sedan and one's you know a a truck and they're both Tacoma or Toyotas, but they're both, they're different models. Yeah. They're
3: so good at analogies. That's <laughs> <laughs> appreciated. I get it. For, you know who I
2: get that from, or I get my analogies from is Mike Benzinger. He <laughs> he is the king of analogies, man. And but it helps you understand right. it better. <laughs> right. I, I feel very blessed to have him as, as meant as one of the mentors. So
1: just one wine is being released March 17th. Mm-hmm. Coming up yeah. here in just
3: yeah. three the weeks. The 2015.
2: The 20, yeah, we're releasing okay. the 2015. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah, that was my favorite right there. Bingo. Uh yeah. So I'll let my beautiful wife explain how to get your yeah, allocation.
3: Um so we have a our website, um it's hill of Tarow Wines dot com and um there's a little button that um you can sign up and join our allocation list. So that sends an email. It's easy, everybody. It's, it's easy. Real it's it's easy. really I didn't easy. Just talking to her. So. Yeah, it's, it's no really, really easy. No commitment is necessary to get on. Yeah, the list. Um, but we, yeah, go ahead and s- sign up on there. Um, I'll reach out to you. I'm sending out an email, a little save the date email about a week before, and then the floodgates will open on St. Patrick's
1: Day. <laughs> on St. Patrick's Day, so it's going all 400 b- bottles.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. 400, 420. So every um, every year, it's always gonna be on St. Patrick's Day until we have the a release. fall release. so we'll have two years with a spring release and then we'll have a fall release and then
2: we'll probably if you're local we'll either drop it off um if you're out of state we can ship it Uh, Mm -hmm. but yeah it's it's exciting nerve-wracking um it's a lot of emotions because it's It's our little baby, you you know, like (laughs) we've been behind the scenes for four years whittling away at this and you know, you get one first impression, you get one opportunity. Um, so we're, we're super excited, but also very nervous at the same time. For
0: four years you've been putting out money. Yeah. 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 Well that too. too, We talk about flow. (laughs) I mean, this is a (laughs) capital intensive industry Mm -hmm. and when you enter into something and you pay for your grapes, You know, two or three months after they've been picked um, and then you don't start selling those uh, wines from those grapes for four years later and you've been paying monthly dues for um, the barrel storage and then buying glass and developing labels and corks and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's, It's nice to look and see, oh, we'll have some income. Yeah, that you can dump right back. Oh into. yeah,
2: yeah. The income's in to last like six right. six months until the next harvest. Right. I mean, you just do
3: not realize how expensive things are until you start your own brand. You're like, wow. I mean, every yeah. little thing adds up. Are
1: you gonna? You're not gonna use a capsule on this, are you?
2: No, we're not. We have uh, a little wax with, top. With no offense to my oh, capsule. No. no, that's okay. Uh, friends, <laughs> um, no, we we have. Uh, Amarin Cork. We moved to DM Cork actually with Kanzler. That's another conversation. Um, but th- you know, we're traditionalists. Um, cork for us is part of the, rom- the romance of opening a bottle. So we're we're cork. Uh, we did put a little wax dollop, kind of like Katuri, on the uh, on the top. He was supposed to help out, but then bailed on the, <laughs> the day before. Uh, typical Katuri. No, no. <laughs> um, but no, he gave. Me, but for his to his credit, he did give me uh, some good advice on on the wax dollop.
4: Well, I've, I've complained to Sam about the wax before because working in restaurants, certainly you yeah. don't want to cut through oh, yeah. wax. You don't want to cut through. The, but Sam, the way he does his wax and the way you've done it as well, he explained the reason for doing is that he likes when people have the wine on their cellar. And the bottles are laying on their side that they can immediately identify his mm-hmm. wines with yeah. that little red capsule. I yeah.
2: said, "Okay, that makes sense." But it's hard. You
3: know. with the you is like, "Is that it? Is that well, it?" Well, I think, right, <laughs> I think when you also when
2: you when you dip, um, that that it becomes messy. When you but the the, the buttons are relatively easy to get through, yeah. um, just a little dollop on top, but. Yeah. You know, packaging is uh, for us, we wanted it to be as important as as the, what's in the bottle. No, so mm-hmm. you guys have some nice glass, I can yeah. tell. Nicely done. The labels done. are beautiful. Nicely done. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but nice yes.
0: glass that when you think that you have <laughs> half a bottle left, there's only a small glass. Oh, don't you though. hate that? Yeah. That's the worst. Yeah. And are <laughs> like, oh, there's still some left.
3: Oh, no. Oh, no. Order
0: another bottle. Order another bottle. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Hillatara.com. <laughs> Wines. Hillatara. Wines.
3: Right.
1: So how do they get in touch with you, Katie?
3: So there's an acquire tab on the website. Um, so you click that. We have a little form just because you want to get to know you on a more personal level. Just fill out your name, how you heard about us. Your credit card number. Your credit card <laughs> number, if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> your social security. No, I'm just kidding. Um, right. <laughs> but fill that out, and then um, I'll be in touch with you. I'm kind of, I guess, on the marketing side of Hill of more so. Katie at
2: hillotarawines.com.
3: Mm-hmm, Katie at com.
2: And follow
0: Danny along on uh, Instagram. He post a lot of good uh, stuff. From oh, that's
2: not me at all. That's Katie. Uh, okay. Uh, Hilli- at Hillatara Wines. Well, why making
3: nomads? Why make
2: him a nomads? Yeah, you
0: guys both post some good stuff, you know. I'm always a little worried that Danny spends too much time setting up the camera when he's out working <laughs> um, <laughs> because he gets some incredible shots. Well, it, the he Go- does, GoPros he does. are pretty
2: magical things. Um, but no, Isn't that amazing? Katie, the time I mean, lapses. They, they did create an entirely new way of taking photos. And it's they fun did. to... like. N- You know, even the vineyard side of things is so far in the shadow of, you know, the bottle of wine on the table. You know, I mean, the winemaking is is in the shadow, but the vineyard is so far in the shadow. No one sees how much work and how much backbreaking pain it goes into actually farming and it's very romantic and it's like oh i get to be outside in nature it's a lot of freaking of course, work, i was
3: out man. there for what three hours woke up at three we in were the morning tying,
2: uh, yeah we were tying cane strength, Well and uh, just the harvest stuff. this year for cap franc and well we pick our own grapes too yeah. at the cap and that's like i gotta recruit you know half a dozen of my buddies and buy them breakfast and get them out there at 4 a.m um and we're literally out there picking our own grapes i mean we do everything it's not like some you know smoke and mirror show here and we're proud of that though because that's our livelihood that's what we want and that's what we want to um, to put into the bottle
3: every way possible mm-hmm. yeah
2: exactly and so um yeah at the end of the day we're, we're trying to put a light onto the vineyard side the winemaking side and really show at the end of the day like what a true authentic family brand is all about
1: cool how nice of you guys to come on i appreciate Pleasure. it and i know it took a little uh, doing a little time lag but hey you're here and that's a positive thing so
3: thank you so much we appreciate your time
1: mm-hmm. ryan shout outs hey i always as always a <laughs> shout out if you want
4: to do tours if you come to napa or sonoma um if you want to do a sommelier guided wine tour wine zulu z-o-o-l-o-o.com and i appreciate the fact that um, um todd jolly when he was on with the incoble because i missed those two shows i wasn't on with the and i wasn't on with uh, mr c phil katuri um, but I like how at the end of the show you guys all forgot about me, and Todd was like, "Yeah, hey, I want to get a shout out to Brian Casey, man. He always gives me a shout out, so I'm going to give a shout out to Todd Jolly and say thanks because these wines, we're drinking a couple of wines um, that um, that uh, he sent our way, so I really appreciate that, and and I and I love that you went two for two on the uh, blind tasting. Um, I'm going to gloat for you for <laughs> yeah. uh, in front of a master Psalm. I mean, I remember when I did my blind tasting, luckily when, when, you know, you're in front of like, I was in front of like 200, 300 people or something and they, you know, they're just going down the line and, and I'm like, oh crap, it's my turn. I had a Riesling. So it was like, (laughs) I like smelled the petrol in it and I was like, Riesling. (laughs) And I was like, I look like, I'm like, I'm brilliant. (laughs) But Todd really went like above and beyond, um, picking out those wines. So uh, just a shout out to him and, um, uh, and Sonoma's best.
0: Yeah, uh, Todd gave us a couple wines uh, today, and the Armenian wine yeah. um, was kind of a showstopper. I oh. think it Brian might have thrown out his back um, when he tasted it. He twerked a little. He twerked a little. That was, <laughs> was it. That was it, yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to thank everybody who's out there listening and uh, everybody who's given us reviews on iTunes and whatnot. We appreciate it. It helps us grow the brand, being the winemakers and uh, for all your support and everything. And uh, Danny and Katie, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate having, having you. Um, and uh, Danny and I are going to be working on a little thing to try to help promote us small wineries that exist without tasting rooms. And uh, try to have to get a couple wineries and maybe do an event together here this year. And, uh, awesome. Try to promote kind ourselves. Kind of like so.
1: 8th Street. Well, no, because Saturday? those are
0: all wineries that have wineries. We are wineries that exist without a tasting room, and mm-hmm. so we need to find a uh, you know a place that will host us or that we can host and have some people come and mm-hmm. kind of help cross market each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Trace talked about it when we were at Bialy with his brand and how well it works. So that's some of the inspiration. So yeah, very exciting. Look for that in the future.
4: Well, you guys. D- Please throw out your your day job contact information as well, because you guys are working at cool places that of make course. incredible wines. So
3: yeah, um, so I'm the hospitality manager at Lambert Bridge Winery. So it's up yep. in um, Healdsburg and Dry Creek Valley. Please come visit; we'd love to host you. Yep. Just redid the barrel room; it's, it's wonderful gorgeous. experience. Yeah, beautiful Bordeaux varietals that Jen Higgins, our winemaker, crafted and.
2: Beautiful uh, facility, too. Yeah, it's a beautiful the, the picnic garden. Redwood Barn. We
3: just went by appointment on January 4th, so feel free to just reach out to me directly and I can set you up. But nice. we'd love to have you.
2: Nice. Mm-hmm. And I'm at Kanzler Vineyards. We're also by appointment, we're, um, we have, uh, 20 acres of Pinot out in Southwest Sebastopol. If you want to come and visit, um, or you can go to com and get on our mailing list, Beautiful to get some killer Pinot. pinot yeah. Thank it's you. my
3: favorite. Yeah. Now I get to drink it all the time. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Part <laughs> of the deal. Yep. <laughs> Danny, take this job. <laughs> all right. Well, hey guys, thank
1: you so much for uh, you, getting back on the air oh, yeah. with us. So much appreciated. And thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Take care.